What's the latest, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Newland with you here as always, and Ronnie Flores just stepped off the Ball is Life private jet yep. in Orange County, flew in this morning from Phoenix. Uh, actually, where would you come from? You're in Colorado Springs, too. So where did you come from, Ronnie? I came from uh, <laughs> driving last night from Phoenix. <laughs> no PJ? Uh, yeah, no, 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 no Ryan Silver. I uh, Ryan Silver didn't let me catch jump flights, on, not feelings. Yeah, <laughs> didn't let me jump on his plane. So I came back from Phoenix, <laughs> on the old tan, the old route, um, the coyote route back from the tan. And uh, it kind of got some rider's block. I was trying to, you know, what did I see? What would happen there? And it, it finally came to me this this morning. And, you know, we got it out. So if you are on ballerslife.com, it's Always not just, you know, the latest, uh, you know, crazy Highlights dunk or, or yeah, dunk. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can get some insight there. Uh, we got a lot coming up this month, Devin. Um, you know, the, the, the summer grassroots tournament season is really not over. There's one more event uh, locally, at least in the West, uh, you know, the Fantastic 40. Then we got the Hoops by Uglin, which is your sh- showcase on the 10th. Yep. Uh, in Orange County, we got the Bay vs. LA on August 25th. So we got a lot to go over, but we got a lot coming up. So I uh, guess we might as well jump yeah, right into it. Jump right into the hard and the paint topic today, and that is the NCAA College Basketball Academies, which were held at various regional sites across the country uh, this past weekend. Normally, a week slash weekend that's reserved for uh, you know Las Vegas live period Correct. travel ball events, right? Various yeah. circuits, uh, Fab 48. Um, which was last year, which ended up turning into the uh, Las Vegas big, big time again. Um, again, so the, the those were live. Those were made, yeah, those were live. Not anymore. That they're they're dead now. Yeah, they're dead now. They still went on. Yeah. Uh, majority of them still went on, especially the uh, big time in Vegas. Which, if you have Twitter uh, and you follow most of the basketball people around the country, you saw a lot of uh, highlights and uh, fun things. Uh, going on there, whether it was Josh Christopher and Jalen Green teaming up with Vegas Elite or uh, that Under Armour dude with the, the crazy dunk that some are dubbing the, the greatest in-game dunk of all time. Not sure if that's accurate, but Ronnie, you were at the College Basketball Academy's both sessions yes. for at least two days on both sessions, correct? Correct. First, before we jump into takeaways, um, players and all that, what were your, what was your overall takeaway of how the camp was set up? I think the overall takeaway from how the camp was set up was that was well in terms it was done of well. yeah done well. Uh, the facility there at Grand Canyon, they're like auxiliary. Uh, you know, it's a, like a training facility they have. You're that nine the, courts or something. Yeah, the nine courts, very nice, well air conditioned, new. The campus is very new. It's expanding, so they did a good job of, of putting it there. Okay, and be with because we'll get into this, but because the camp wasn't quote unquote full. You know, there was 150 kids per session. They they kind of announced many months ago that they might have up to 600 per 24. Obviously, the other ones were at stores, Connecticut, University of Houston, yep. Champaign, Illinois, right. and GCU, you know, major college campuses. Um, you know, th- that setup was good. But the one thing I, w- I would criticize that makes sense as far as the location, like I said, those were at the Canyon Activity Center. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, Devin Nines Court is very nice. Is you had one set of games or one game at the main facility in the main seven thousand foot or seven thousand uh, yeah. seat, seat facility, gym. right? Correct. So again, it, it's one hundred and ten degrees, and it's not a short walk at all. It's okay, a so long there's, there's a long distance between those two facilities. Oh, okay, I thought minutes. maybe it was like a 
a dual a dual like, yeah dual dual. Oh, I didn't no. know that. It was um not down the hall. And it's like 110 degrees. 110 degrees, and it's a 10 to 15 minute walk. Oh damn. So you had to get in your car. Okay. So after a while, you just okay. I'm not I'm not gonna walk from it. The evaluative standpoint. I'm not. I'm gonna watch two games in the nine sure nine court facility. I'm not walking back to watch the games at GCU. Okay. So that made no sense. Yeah. I watched one game there, and then I realized I you know I was talking to college coaches, talking to other guys, realized it wasn't didn't make any sense. And then the kids were walking around. That's tough. The kids were walking around to the dorm, too. Back to the dorm. How, and yeah. Do you know how estimated how it far was that like, was? Oh, that was like a valley walk of death. It yeah, was we're going like... to bring Aaron Bergen on, and I'm sure <laughs> uh, his son was participating in the second session. I'm sure he'll know yeah. kind of the, the full logistics of yeah. that. And we'll now, he, his may, take, but... he may soften the blow, but I'm telling you, it was, it was a far... long walk. So our guy, you know, um, George Ochoa, or Ochoa, oh. yeah, he was like, this is, you know. And, that, that, and other kids were, too, like, you know, we're walking to a long distance, and it's hot. If it was 70 degrees, great. Great, yeah, it's you know, cool. No problem. So, um, again, and then I, I heard from a few college coaches, and this happened in the other facilities too, the perception of the camp. First-year camp, why would you have games in the big arena when the arena is completely empty and there's like 10 college coaches and in And maybe the some parents. And a few parents. Right. What, what, what purpose does it serve? I mean, for, for play devil's advocate on that, yeah. I guess it's cool for the kids to get that yeah. experience to play yeah. on a legit college court. Yeah. But then again, like you check out and you're sitting on the bench and you're 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 watching and you're like, where are the coaches? We're where, supposed to be here because college coaches are watching us. That's correct. why we're here. Correct. So a few of the first social media perceptions, again, like we say, perception is very strong. First, you know, first impression is yeah. very important. It's empty. And there's a few college coaches, not as many as you expect. And then a few college coaches always also told me on the back end, you know, come on, this is a obvious recruiting advantage for GCU and the other schools. Ah, uh, okay. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, for the sure. Po- uh-huh. They're there from other schools, and they could be at USA Basketball or, you know. The kids come. get a firsthand experience of their facilities. Correct. Yeah, which is, so, that's a that's a, a high-level recruiting advantage. Correct. It's a nice facility, nice campus, so, yeah. you know, GCU gets that advantage over, you know, San Diego State, uh, San Jose State, Irvine. UC Irvine, yeah. you know, Cal State Fullerton. Obviously, it's not a huge advantage compared to a Kentucky or you right, know, the, that, that a Duke or school. something like that. No, right. yeah, but they're on there similar. That, yeah. they're, they're recruiting similar types of players. Correct. So that was a, a, a kind of a knock, the college coach concern. Knock. Yeah. Now that has nothing to do with the player selection. As far as the teaching, from what I'm seeing, the West one was led by Steve Lavin and Earl Watson. That was well. Those, done. Guys, those guys know basketball. Yeah. It, you know, I got positive feedback in terms of um, skill development, skill development, drills, within, drills. Okay. Now. Some of the parents and some of the kids, because of the weather, because of where the dorms were, you know, having the drills for as long as they did, they were so they were worn out. Okay. And, they were, and hey, that happens. And that mean, you know, again, we want to see guys who are physically in shape, but it was a lot for them. But the gameplay was well, meaning you know, good defense for the most part, challenging shots, guys going for rebounds, wasn't cherry picking, wasn't leaking. Wasn't what we saw on social media, like you said, at That's some of the dev events. Sure. You know what I mean? It was competitive okay. in terms of the gameplay and just overall atmosphere. Generally you know? trying to play the game the right way is what Correct. you're saying? Yes. In general. And that's good. And that's yeah. what we want. Um, the, the, the facility itself, like we said, it, it was a silver lining for the NCAA that they didn't get to capacity because, again, now you're running nine courts. Let's say there was 300 kids, so that's double. Now you're running double the amount of games. Sure. Now there's no space in between the courts because they went one court, one off. Okay. 
you know, the, the coaches were standing. So was I. And some other people were standing in between the courts. Yeah. And then uh, you get another game, then another off game. Then uh, the three and, you know, three on the outside, one in the middle and two. In so there was room to be was comfortable. Room. There was room to, to move around and watch games without it, having obstructions and things like correct. that. Correct. If you have to put the nets down and there's balls flying from one court to the other, well, guess what? We just got the event now that you've been criticizing. Right. Where is that Momentum Sports Center again? Yeah, correct. <laughs> so that part worked out well um, to answer your, your original question. Um you know, I, again, what's the next topic you want to so speak let's, to? Like let's, team selection? Your yeah, so let's now? let's go to the kind of the the, the biggest issue I, I think I've seen uh, based on who I talk to, based on parents I've spoken to and, and media and college coaches and that like was kind of the process of the player selection. Okay. A lot of – they didn't – I feel like the NCAA didn't do a good job of promoting the camp itself and then how to actually go about – being nominated or nominating yourself or registering to be able to participate in the camp. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's definitely accurate. Um, That's the area that needs the biggest improvement. Um, The NCAA, you get, if this is a first-year event, Devin, and you say all first-year events, you get better. The Balls Life All-American game got a lot better after the first one. You're who's by Ugnan. You'll know know the tweaks to get better. Right, you know, yeah. Regardless of what it is, Pangles Camp, anything of that nature, um, so that would be fine if this was a standalone event in addition to the other events that previously existed. But when you're taking away the week that most coaches spend in Orlando and Vegas as a replacement, yeah, you came up much short. Okay, you get. I mean, a lot to be desired. Now, in their defense, they you know they'll have more time this year to organize. Going into the, the same weekend next year, sure, more time and more. Now they have the experience of doing it, but right, and able know, to make the, some adjustments and yeah. take into account, yeah, um, you know, maybe bring in some some outside people who are unbiased or yeah, you know, not connected to a not travel connected, team or yeah. to a big uh, shoe company, and be able to kind of put up names like a list yeah. of 200, 300 kids who yeah. are. What like what level prospect they are, whether it's Division One, Division Two, yeah. Division Three, and then you can kind of sort that way. Correct. So when the state championships ends again, most state championships are ending a little earlier. And you say Geico, why when Geico's done, boom, you gotta be on broadcasting it. Broadcasting that, yeah, yeah. blasting I mean, that thing. I blasted out my camp started yeah. in April. Yeah, it, it, and it's not be, till August tenth. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's the point. You yeah. gotta have. You gotta like you said, have good publicity. Good uh, social media to get it out there, um, and so people know the deadline. Because this year, let's let's what I'm gathering from people that were there, the NCAA spent upwards of a good seven figures, maybe even eight figures on the camp. So what's the point of the deadline that a lot of kids don't know about if you're not full? The deadline to register, right? The deadline to register, and you were still half full, empty. So yeah, yeah, the deadline is artificial. Just move the deadline. Use take some common sense. You you're not. Dying over here for flights. Well, you're not, oh God, the flight went up a uh, fifty dollars. And especially because a lot of the yeah. people who lived yeah. four hundred miles and closer yeah. ended up they rented them a car. Sure. So yeah. all you gotta do is call up yeah. Enterprise and be like, hey, I need a car for need Joe 100. Smith. And you're renting right. one hundred and fifty, so you're getting a good. The the money wasn't the issue. So okay. Just the deadline to make sense for people. Yeah. To get ready. So this year they should have it more. You know, into organized, organized yeah. in that thing. So. You know, it was apparent that the the talent level that the South nomination process has to be looked at, redone. Well, you know, what okay. is that doing? And then the process of a college coaching staff nominating 
talent okay. is a disaster. Yeah, they're not going to know. They're not going to do that the way they want them to do that. We knew that going in. We knew that a long time ago. Yeah. We, the college coaches are going to nominate. So San Jose State has a sleeper. They're going to nominate the kid to go so San Diego State and Gonzaga can see him. Makes no sense. Not a chance. Not you a know, chance. That that part has to be redone. Um, you know, so we can talk. We'll talk about it with our guests, but you know, they like you said can involve a national scouts potentially to get an unbiased view of who they need and, and incorporate them. That's how they would they would do it. Those those gentlemen are much closer to the college. Uh, I'm sorry, to the grassroots coaches who have the, the relationships with the kids. Right. So right. we'll talk about that more. So go ahead, Devin. Yeah, and speaking of our first guest, we have the legendary Frank Burleson on the line from Laguna Niguel, California. Frank, you just landed from Phoenix about a couple hours ago. Uh, how was your experience out at Grand Canyon? Basketball-wise or junk food-wise? or I mean, we know we know the junk food and Diet Cokes were, were flowing oh, plenty. Boy. So oh, uh, let, let's go with basketball. Well, first off, the first thing to come to mind is, you know, uh, if you didn't tell the listeners, I was there for both sessions. Yep. So I basically got there Monday and then uh, from Tuesday, Wednesday, and then uh, the first session ended late Thursday morning with the last set of games. And then um, – Everything else started uh, the next Friday and went on pretty much the same cycle. They tweaked it a little bit, uh, as, as, as Ronnie could tell you, uh, uh, Thursday, uh, excuse me, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then ended yesterday morning, pretty early, about 11-15-ish or so. Uh, one thing they did uh, immediately change, in fact, they did it the next day, was uh, they, they played with a stop clock. Hmm. So if Ronnie could attest... You know, you're, we're watching, and then it's like we were, I think Ronnie and, and Dinos were in the, the, the big arena. I stayed there for all, all I think, two, four, four games that first night. And I remember thinking, God, this game's just about over. I'm getting ready to watch somebody else or something. I turn around, look at the clock. There's like four minutes to go in the first half. I mean, <laughs> we're, all, we're all so used to those who watch, uh, you know, grassroots or club ball or whatnot, and even camp games you know, in the spring and summer, you know, running clocks. And in most games in real time, it's, you know, ends up being less than an hour here. I mean, there was games that went an hour and a half, an hour and 35 minutes. I think the first session Tuesday night, the last game I saw ended about 1035. So especially with teams that had, you know, some teams had seven players or if somebody wasn't there, right. I mean, the one team was playing with five players. Wow. So I think guys were cramping up. So they did adjust that and they went immediately to uh, running clocks. And then, you know, you've got the games where 55 to 50 instead of, you know, 95 to Tango's All-American camp. 90, <laughs> you know. I got you. Yeah. What I heard that, you know, the teaching and the, the, the gentlemen involved, the coaches involved with the teaching aspect was a hit. What they were teaching was good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was good. I mean, I think what we see now is camps, what uh, even, you know, well before you were, you know, old enough to go to camps or know what camps was. And even maybe it was to run camps. That's what camps used to be. Mm -hmm. Large doses of fundamental instruction, drills, uh, you know, those kind of things, the, the, the foundations and basics of the game. And then, you know, scrimmaging, and then in some cases, um, you know, real games, you know, real camp-type games mm -hmm. or whatnot. Now, again, I'm not just putting this on, you know, the pangos of the world, but almost every camp 
uh, we see now are that the mainstream players or the high-profile players, it's games. I mean, they'll assemble teams and maybe, as in the case of, you know, Pangos All-American or the Frosh Softcaps that Dinos does, they'll have a speaker uh, initially, you know, and do some drills for about an hour or so and demonstrate some deals, uh, some drills that, you know, every, you know, every team's broken down into 10 units and, you know, he'll have some camp coaches or, or what local coaches or people calling themselves coaches helping out. And then they just play it. Then it's nonstop, right. you know, game, 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 game. Well, here I think they wanted to get back to the original element, the traditional element or what used to be the traditional element of a lot of quote-unquote teaching involved and fundamentals and footwork and, and and as well as, you know, the fundamentals but also, you know, incorporating, you know, some real offense in terms of uh, what they wanted them to kind of try to execute, uh, you know, in half court settings or what, I mean, in even early offenses because they did uh, they did play with shot clocks throughout. Uh, I like that. So, I like that. Yeah. So again, so at force you couldn't just. Um, We're not going four corners. Yeah. You, well, you can't. Just, <laughs> no, 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 it's just you can't have a guy just dribble, 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 sure. and then suddenly it's bad. Again, so again, th- I think that was good. I think, uh, and, and Ronnie may have addressed it, and, and I did talk to Dan Gabbett uh, Saturday night. He's a VP of the NCAA in charge of college basketball, so he's, you know, the nuts and bolts of what the NCAA deals with in college basketball and things like that. He's one of the main guys, uh, father of the late, great Dave Gabbett, of course, better the, you know, founder of the Big East and former great coach at Providence back in the 60s and 70s. So what they did, uh, he went to all the sites, you know, UConn, Stores, Connecticut, Champaign, Illinois, Houston. I think his last stop was um, was in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I, uh, I sat down and talked with them, you know, during the game for 40 minutes. We talked at length. And uh, I think a lot of what I, if people wrote, read what I wrote in terms of, that they're in it for the long haul and they're in it for a big commitment came from my discussions with him and Steve Labbitt and some of the other um, uh, NCAA people that I talked to that I've known for a while over the thing. So uh, I, I think the thing that and it was addressed, and I think Ronnie was talking about it, is the player selection mm-hmm. model. Uh, what it was initially was basically players can nominate themselves in some fashion, you know, go on the website or whatever they had to do. Or or and or coaches, college coaches would nominate, you know, any number. I mean, ideally, they want them to nominate the best players they knew about. So, in theory, get the best players to the camp. Well, as you all know, I mean, anybody who's familiar with the landscape of college basketball recruiting and 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 how coaches develop relationships with players and try to get on players early and maybe cultivate relationships with players and their parents and coaches and really do a good good job evaluating early uh, and, and so that the players are kind of somewhat in the sleeper mode, which really doesn't exist anymore. But again, they're low-key, some players, and they don't want that. You know, those coaches aren't going to, you know, say, hey, come and buy Johnny Smith because nobody knows about him, but he's a big-time guard. Right, right. Even though we got a great chance of sneaking him out and getting him <laughs> before him, but, you know, suddenly he's playing in front of 150 coaches from – pretty much across the country and he's got 25 scholarships offers and that, that, that little the little school that worked its ass off trying to recruit this guy is suddenly you know tossed to the wayside so i think that was something they didn't think through and i know a lot of the coaches 
you know, most coaches didn't nominate real legitimate players, or they would nominate guys that they knew they weren't involved with, right. but, but their rivals <laughs> were involved with, something like that. Or, you know, what the other did. And again, um, they would invite, you know, coaches, their their buddies, mm-hmm. you know, their, invite their sons. Sure. And say, hey, you know, I've got a lot of buddy, and his sons might not be a particularly good player, but he'd like to go to the camp and, you know, have a parent get, you know, airfare and, you know, accommodations and stuff like that. So that, so obviously that's, that's not way to do it. And I think that's why you saw uh, a smattering of true, like even in the West, I mean, right. What was there? Something like 12 Arizona players, yeah, 57 players from Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So that's got to change it. I think uh, now that they're, they're on it, I would hope that in whatever fashion they're working on it today, you know, once they, you know, clean up whatever they want to do and, go over stuff that they wouldn't talk about from last week and start working on, okay, what's going to be our model to get uh, as many of the best players as we want, but not just the best players, but the players who really deserve an opportunity to play, even if they're not highly ranked, but guys who and the other models would have gone to Vegas or gone mm-hmm. to Southern California or played in some of these events with the idea of getting exposure to college coaches. So sure. I think they're gonna, they'll, they'll fine tune all those things. And uh, I had one session, to, uh, a suggestion that I'm going to reveal publicly because I want to be the one that takes credit for it when they finally do it. <laughs> is, uh, as I said, you know, because again, we had, I had parents, I had club coaches, I had high school coaches, kids said, Hey, I didn't even know about it. And again, <laughs> you know, the NCAA, you know, did what they had to do in terms of social media or emails or whatever they did to the schools. But I, I, I get it. A lot of people don't just look for that kind of stuff. So I suggested to uh, Dan, Dan Gabbitt, I said, you know what, you know, when, when the college bro- uh, basketball uh, broadcast started in November or whatnot, early November, be it ESPN, be it Fox, be it, you know, when CBS starts doing games, uh, uh, public service messages, you know, yeah. uh, during timeouts, you know, a little 30 second spot, 15 second spots, you know, where they flash NCAA, you know, student athletes are this, student athletes, not, Hey, are you a, are you a high school basketball player in the classes of, uh, 2023, 22 and 21 and want to, uh, play at the NCAA basketball Academy, uh, this summer and be exposed to these coaches, go to NCAA.com da, 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 and just pound that, pound that, pound that, or put ads in, you know, uh, online, uh, um, you know, on uh, on uh, uh, Devlin on uh, uh, on hoops, but a big all uh, you know a big pricey ad on his website. Yeah, I mean, so, Frank, that's that's gonna cost that's yeah. gonna cost him like like probably three million bucks though. Yeah. for an ad on my <laughs> and website. Again, <laughs> and, and, and again, you know, you do that, and again, eventually the players you want to, you know, obviously everybody heard about it for the most part. So again, it's going to help, but I think they could find out a way to get, and then, then they get, you know, they got to find some way to, uh, be it staff members or consultants or whatever. Again, you know, I'm not suggesting my, only myself, but people like myself, Ronnie, you know, whoever across the country, there's plenty of people you can go regionally, uh, who can not, not only give you a good insight into their particular region, but can also prove, uh, provide a, a, a cross checking service where, they could say, okay, here's 50 guys that Joe Blow recommended from the South or Georgia and Florida. 
you happen to know any of these guys? What's your thoughts on these pictures? Yeah, I've seen 30 of these guys. They're all good. So again, so you really do a, as best possible job as you can is identifying the best players or the players that need to be in the camp and then assigning them to the appropriate region. And then one other thing is, um, uh, I don't know if you noticed that or if you read it, but um, the, 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 the players were basically broken down into three, the teams were into kind of three plateaus, three leagues. There was, you know, 80s NCAA championships, 90s NCAA championship teams, and then 2000 uh, championship teams, and it was red, white, and blue. And the Reds were, and again, they didn't promote this, but because, you know, I can understand why, the Reds were where they put, for the most part, the teams, players they thought were the best. Okay. You know, going into the thing, the white was the middle-level players, and the blue were the ones that, to their, you know, to whoever, how they gauged it, were the lesser of the players. And I think, you know, what happened was some guys were playing in the in the middle division or the last division that should have been in the upper division, and vice versa. There was players playing with, you know, very, very good players who really weren't that caliber player. Mm-hmm. And maybe they would have been better served to play on a lower level. So they got to do a better job of identifying what particular level platform that these players are playing at. And again, some of that might be uh, in just the recommendations or the evaluations that whatever consultants they use uh, to to determine that. But also, you know, hey, come, you know, in that first day when there's a lot of drilling and stuff, well, instead of, you know, when you're drilling, you know, have like the old little league tryouts or, or even some basketball tryouts where you watch guys drill for an hour and a half and have a draft, you know, again, obviously you're going to know the bulk of the players and they're going to stand out. But if you see, you know, look at their numbers and don't know their names, just look at the numbers and you've got your 12 coaches say, okay, we each guy already starts out with six of the elite players or six players that we know, uh, you know, because we know who's recruiting stuff, And then, to fill out your roster with your next three players, let's just have a draft based on what you saw in the drills, be mm-hmm. it their fundamentals, their skill level, their athleticism, you know, their 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 attitudes, their enthusiasm, and just do a draft. You yeah. know what I mean? And that way, instead of just predetermining seven, eight, nine guys and kind of hit and miss, that way, for the most part, everybody's had a little bit of, of a chance to be actually evaluated for a couple of hours or to show off some of the stuff that they're capable of before they're assigned a team. Gotcha. Um, Frank, you mentioned that, you know, it already being predetermined. I think that created a scenario where the college coaches kind of picked up on the fact that, you know, two or three teams had the better prospects and it was bad perception that, you know, on a couple sessions, 95% of the coaches were watching one game while the other four games, there was no coaches watching and that, that doesn't look good for the parents. It doesn't look good for a first-time camp, you know. Well, I mean, the, the perfect example of that, Ronnie, is that Tuesday night at the uh, the Grand Canyon uh, Arena, which is, you know, stiff. Yeah, I've been there before, a great facility, and uh, we can deal with this later, but talk about this later. The facility is incredible. But, you know, the first set of games, there was a lot of high-profile. You know, Brandon Angel comes to mind. A lot, uh, Jaron Johnson from Linwood, Sticks from Linwood. A lot of good players that we all know, you know, you look at the roster, we knew 80% of the players. Now, there was players from, obviously, a whole bunch of players from Florida whose names I didn't know, but very clearly they were very good players when you watch them. And I think there was 40 to 45 coaches or 50, you know, a smattering of head coaches, and certainly all the Western conferences were represented. This is the first two games. 
and then uh, and then the second uh, uh, second session, you know, and a, and a, yeah, and a smattering of uh, of coaches from across the country actually, and then they had about an hour break, and then the next game come up, there was some players, and, and you know, I'll say they're players. It's not going to mess them. There was. Uh, the two big uh, headliners, probably of guys we would know, were uh, Aiton Wright mm-hmm. uh, from Fairmont State and um, uh, Amon Anderson from uh, Losinger. Uh, For right off the bat, you know, as we all know, those guys shouldn't been, and they were playing in the second division. Well, those guys should have been in that upper tier division, but again, for whatever reason, they weren't identified as such. And they played well, I think. At one time, there was about four coaches, and by the time their game was over, there was seven coaches from basically WCC, Big West, Mount West, maybe one other. Yeah, there was, there was, and again, you thought, okay, those are probably the schools that are, for the most part, recruiting those guys. And then the next game come up, and there may be one player I knew or two players I knew, and there were no coaches. I mean, for the entire game, I looked. I mean, you know, it's easy to count and recognize faces because there's, 40 people in the stands, no college coaches that I'm aware of, or, or no one sitting at the assigned area where college coaches were directed. And the team, you know, both teams played. It was a long game, and they played. It was entertaining. It was, you know, quality players, what level, I don't know. But if you're like, like what I said, if you're a parent or you're a kid, and you look at the stands and you say, wait a second, I, I flew out here from Florida or uh, Utah or Idaho. Dakota, yeah, or Idaho, and this is oh, this is great opportunity to be seen in front of coaches. And I'm playing, and I see no coaches. It, it's tantamount to like you know the old Fab, you know, in recent years uh, the Fab 48s or some of these Vegas things where if you're not in the Bishop Gorman gym uh, or where the real old close high school, then you suddenly see yourself playing eight nine miles away from Gorman. And, you're, and you've come from Omaha and your family, you spent all the vacation money to fly the family out. This is the kid's great opportunity to be seen. And you're playing in a game in a gym with, you know, nothing but Gila monsters and, 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 and lizards <laughs> running around, you know, and 115. And you're thinking, wait a second, where's our exposure? Right. I mean, so again, the, and, and I think first and foremost, what this has to be about, they can talk about exposing them to the culture of NCA and, teaching them about all the things they need to know academically and socially and the evils of social media. And I, I get that. And that's fine. But ultimately what all camps, what all basketball events, grassroots basketball events, at least ultimately the bottom line is what they're for is to give players exposure to college coaches. I mean, I know that's what you're thinking about when you do an event or when you write about players that you want, again, you know, you know, you there's compensation involved for everybody. People make counts, but again, that's what the camp is about: is exposing players uh, or uh, with college coaches, either directly the coaches can go and watch your event, or either you know events are, are are held and people like you, me, Ronnie, or uh, Jerry Freitas or whatnot are writing about the players and talking about the players to the coaches who didn't have the opportunity to see them but want to know about them and get a chance to potentially uh, recruit them. And, and ultimately, all this other stuff, that's the bottom line. So I think whatever they do uh, to uh, fine-tune it uh, and things like that has to be with that in mind. 
Thank you, Frank Burleson, the biggest legend in the business. Ronnie, I mean, Frank with uh, with great insight there as always. Yeah, you know, he uh, made a lot of sense. What he was saying is a pretty good, accurate portrayal of what happened. You know, the camp was, was very good overall. Obviously, the main thing that he mentioned was the, you know, where you see the players at in terms selection of process. the selection process. You know, right. that, that's that's very important. And we'll, we'll continue to talk about that a little more. And and then also talk about the, the elephant in the room, which is the, you know, the dynamic between the NCA and running these camps and the grassroots coaches who kind of have the first uh, real bond and first real connection to these players that they want. Right. And our next guest coming in here, making his inaugural first appearance to the Ball's Life in the Paint show is everyone's best friend, Aaron Bergen, better known as Full-Time Hoops. Aaron, thanks for taking the time to join us, man. What's up, guys? How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. So you you bring an interesting perspective on this NCAA camp because not only were you there as a parent, but you're also there as a as a member of the media. So first, as a parent, what was your thoughts uh, based on expectations on how the camp was was run, um, kind of in an all encompassing manner? So you know, I came into the camp trying to just limit expectations one way or the other, and just um, wanted to see how it all played out. That was a little difficult in the beginning just because the communication between the NCAA and the parents wasn't, you know, necessarily, you know, the best it could be at times. Uh, Give us an example of that. You know, like, perfect example is July 4th, you know, I'm out, in, um, I'm out in Santa Ana and, you know, I get an email from someone saying, hey, did you, you know, did you, um, did you reserve your hotel and your rental car? Oh, no, I was going to do it next week. Uh, the deadline's tomorrow. <laughs> what? <laughs> the deadline's tomorrow? Uh, yeah, you should have gotten something from Teamworks about it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Interesting. And so, of course, you know, I check my junk mail, and it's in my junk mail. So then I get on and uh, get on the phone, and I find out you're supposed to go through Short's Travel Agency. Uh, I find out later in the evening... Uh, around 3.30, so I call it 4. Shorts is hours is, you know, in the, Shorts closes at 5 o'clock Central Standard Time. So then I'm told, got to call back tomorrow. I call back tomorrow. The phones are jammed. I'm guessing people like me trying to make the last-minute reservations. So I ended up having to extend the deadline of three or four days to accommodate everyone, which was which was good. But the fact that I found out about it the day before the deadline, a little disconcerting. For sure, and then when you when you arrive at the camp and start seeing things um, from a perspective of uh, you know teaching the coaches who were there involved in the teaching and then uh, gameplay and 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 selection process of the players, what were your thoughts on that? I mean, from from a logistical standpoint, I think the NCAA hit a lot of their marks, like the, you know during the event. Okay, I thought that I got all the information I needed where to go. Um, I thought the information at the at some of the parent meetings was a little redundant. I mean, obviously, I'm in the industry, so I'm, I'm up to speed with a lot of this. But I think that people underestimate that parents are pretty well-informed, too. So a lot of what they were going over was rehashing. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think that sometimes us parents, um, we kind of caught some of the speakers off guard with some of our questions because they were very pointed, very direct. And, you know, they told us to ask them anything, so we did. Okay. Um, in regards to 
the actual execution of the camp itself, I thought I thought the the guys that they picked to do the drills and to do some of the skill work were very well regarded in their industry and did a good job of doing those. I think that there was sometimes a little bit too much skill work just because, you know, I saw players that were, you know, bent over exhausted and some getting hurt during skill drills. And it's like, well, they're not going to be able to play in the games where the coaches are actually watching. So that was, that was, that was a side effect of, you know, a lot of work leading up to the game. In regards to the selection of players, you know, the three divisions, there were definitely players in some of the lower divisions that should have been in the upper division mm-hmm. and vice versa. And I think that Stinchelle did an okay job identifying some of those guys. And, you know, you got the you guys got the memos like I did, you know, the next morning, like, hey, this player's been, you know, moved from 1980s, you know, X team to 1990. Right. So they were doing, you know, putting forth a, a decent effort to try to move guys up that they saw fit, but there were a couple of guys that, you know, one, for example, that stood out to me was Tyler Powell. Mm-hmm. Tyler Powell was laying wet, weight to the 1990s division. I, I have no idea why he was in the 90s division. He should have been in the 80s, you know, with, with his peer group in terms of skill level and also, you know, recruitability. I mean, the kids, I know he's getting recruited by a ton of schools, so have him play against that top echelon of competition. So, you know, and and that's not even talking about the actual overall invite list, which I know Frank got into, you know, during his segment. I mean, there yeah. was, you know, there were some questions. There were some definitely some question marks about the selection process, and you know, even if certain kids and certain programs, you know, had backed out for various reasons, there were still a lot of kids who didn't that were home, and others that were there that left you wondering, okay, how did this happen? Aaron, uh, we want you to go hard in the paint and, and give us the spill on this. We talked about this earlier. From the perspective of a, of a player, you know, it was 110 degrees. They're walking in between the, the main facility and the campus and then the dorm. Tell us what your, what your son, A.J. Bergen, said about that and commented or experienced about that. And, and then from his perspective, what did he feel about the, the camp and the games? Okay. Well, the first day, I think we all kind of got hit with that. And I, I know AJ walked from Ironwood down to um, Canyon Athletic Complex, and you know he said it was it was pretty you know it was pretty daunting. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, so, SoCal kids aren't used to walking in 110 degree heat, you know, for a good mile. Right. So fortunately, they you know they learned their lesson and and started letting the kids use the, um, the golf cart. Oh, okay. the, the first day though, the first day they were, you know, even parents, you know, we walked from iron, we walked from ironwood because someone said, Oh, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a walk to get to the gym, but it's doable. A little bit of so a walk. We're following, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so we're taking a little bit of a walk and parents are walking. You know, we see a group of parents walking a certain way. So we start walking there. And next, you know, we're next to, like, all the food places, but I don't see the gym. And I hit a security guard up. I'm like, where's the gym? He's like, oh, uh, you mean the athletic center? I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, you're about, like, a half a mile north or south <laughs> of the gym right now. You start walking this way. And I, he's in a nice golf cart. I'm like, bro, can you give us a ride? He's like, nah, we can't do it. What? Sorry. <laughs> off limits. I'm like, all right, forget you then. Start walking. You know, I make my way up there. I come in the gym. 
I'm drenched. I look like I've been playing games, right? <laughs> so, so like the second and third day, you know, we see the kids on the golf carts, and we're like, okay, thank you, you guys. You know, you got it right. They made the, the adjustment. On the golf cart. They, yeah, they don't need to be out there walking in between games. And then finally, you start seeing some parents, and you realize that okay, they're adjusting. They're they're figuring it out just like the first the first camp session one. You know, the first games they were running twenty minute stop clock games. With media timeouts, right? Like a media timeouts. Game. Were they running? Yeah. Were they running yeah. some ads? Yeah, I do uh, remember I that. Move, bro, but they were doing media timeouts. So, so like on teams with eight kids on the roster. Wow. So yeah, of seven course, these are high school kids who aren't used to games this long. So by the end of the night, you had half of the camp, you know, with cramps, you know, <laughs> over at the trainer's table. So they, so they, so they made the adjustment. You know, twenty minutes running clock. You know, they did the media timeouts, but they didn't do, you know, at 16, at 12, at 8, and at 4. They did at, like, at 9 minutes and, you know, and, and kept moving. Right. So, I, I will say from a reactionary standpoint, they were able to evolve as the weekend went along. From AJ's perspective at the camp, we asked him, like, you know, after he left, you know, what do you think? He's like, I had fun. You know, it was an opportunity for him to, you know, interact with a group of kids that, he hasn't met before, you know, as, as has been brought out multiple times on social media because of it being easier to get direct flights between Florida and California. You had a lot of Florida kids at the camp, mm-hmm. you know, so our kids aren't necessarily, you know, in San Diego. We don't come across a lot of kids from the South unless you're playing on, you know, high-level clubs like, you know, some of the clubs, the Compton Magic Game Point, et cetera. You, you might play against those guys, but not on a regular basis. So getting an opportunity to interact with a new peer group, uh, he was able to befriend a kid in Arizona, Carson Basham, who um, who's had a real, you know, he had a good get a day one, and then he bowed out due to injury. Uh, but he said the camaraderie that the guys were able to um, forge, you know, during the dining hall and you know in between games and things like that, he, he said the social experience was great. And from a basketball perspective, he said, you know, it was challenging. Now, granted, he is a 2021 would find the 1980s division challenging because there were only like 12 2021 or like I think 12 to 14 2021 prospects in that division. Hmm. Most of it was rising. Most of those rising teams. Right. So, you know, that's that's like 16 and under kids playing 17 and under. So that was it was challenging for those guys. So he got a lot, I felt, out of the camp. The one thing he didn't really like, and and it was where we kind of had a divide, there was this one skill um, um, court Uh-oh. where they were. it was really dynamic, super dynamic. They were doing three-on-three stuff. It was real active. I thought the coach paid a lot of attention to detail, you know, stopped the drill to show kids how to screen properly, et cetera. And, you know, AJ was like, I hated that court. He was so annoying. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? He's like, it's like we stopped every other minute, you know, for little things. I'm like, AJ, those are the little things you guys got to drill down on, you know, right. paying attention to those fine details. And then the optional court, I think, you know, some kids felt like it was a little, a little, a little much, you know, uh, I think Gannon Baker does, you know, has a niche that he's carved out in the training world. But some of the kids, you know, they were they were kind of over the whole tennis ball thing and 
you know, they by the by the end of by Saturday, the number of kids who are going to that court, you know, you can see it decrease and decrease as the weekend went on. That was based on choice. Right. That court was based on choice. Is what you're saying? Yeah, that okay. court was optional. Okay, it was, it was court. Thir- they said it was. Uh, it was like um, court thirteen or not court thirteen, like um, station thirteen. Okay, so you know, it was something you could do optional, and I think a lot of kids by the end of the weekend were opting out of it. Um, you know, just for one reason or another, but you know, overall, you know, his his um, his perspective of the camp was that he found it to be enjoyable. I think all the kids were really excited about you know the gear they got from the NCAA. You know, the backpack. I you know he, the first thing he said when he saw that backpack was, "Dad, this is like this is like the school. I can wear this at school. This is a school backpack." And then you, then you like, pun- then yeah. you punked him for it, right? You took it, all right, Aaron? Exactly, right? <laughs> Oh, you already know. Like, I, I took it. I took it to work today. Who's to ever seen that again? But you know, the, I, I think I think where the NCAA did hit its mark was that they spared no expense mm-hmm. to make this as enjoyable as an experience as it can be. Given that one, it was in the middle of the desert, and two, it was in July. Yeah. So you know, giving giving parents or the chaperones. $100 to spend over the course of a weekend at, at you know, the different spots in GCU, uh, paying for the hotel, uh, paying for flights if you're flying, or, you know, me, I rented a car. You know, so if you just went by yourself as a chaperone and your kid, you didn't have to spend any money outside of, outside of, like, the hotel, like, outside of gas to get there, or, you know, if you flow, if you flew, you really didn't have to spend any of your own money. And that's, you know, that's by contrast to going to Vegas, you know, family of four, we go to Vegas the end of the live period, you know, for the last live period last year, you know, we're showing out close to a thousand dollars, you know, just on gas, food, hotel expenses, all that stuff. And that's on the low end of things because I'm cheap, right? Yep. So. <laughs> hey, so am I, my friend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, why do people say rich? Because they don't spend money, right? So, <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean? But like. That's the that I mean I think they really did hit their mark in terms of that. As for the other stuff, you know that we've talked about player selection, uh, involvement and relationships with AAU teams and things like that. You know they're gonna have to they're gonna have to step it up next year. Yep. Uh, I really felt, you know, I really felt like walking away from it. You know, noticing some of the glaring absences of the club. And you just think about the last year, you know, the NCAA has spent most of the year just vilifying AAU basketball as the root of all, you know, of all sorts of ills. And that was something I brought out at one of the sessions. There was a, uh, a representative from the NBA. We were all in Grand Canyon's arena, which is, by the way, GCU has a beautiful freaking arena. Yeah. That that That's top notch. So, you know, he starts his whole speech talking about how, you know, the Rice Commission felt that AAU basketball had no central governance, which allowed for the influence of, you know, of runners and agents and this, that, and third. And so, like, he opened it up to questions. And I was like, listen, man, like, I appreciate what you're saying, but, like, 99% of AAU or travel basketball will never have contact with an agent or a runner. Yet, you base the premise of all these reforms on that premise. Mm -hmm. But then... So you penalize all these clubs that are doing it the right way to, you know, 
to make an example out of a few bad apples, but then at the same time, you give the NBA plea top 100 camp, you let that become a live event. So you're giving those that top tier that supposedly is where the issues are, you're giving them, you know, more exposure yeah. compared to the rest of the kids. So it's like, it, it was, you know, I, I used the word duplicitous to describe it. Hey man, can you define can you define that for me? Because you use way too many big words out of your thesaurus. Oh man, just, <laughs> you know it's like speaking out of the side of your mouth. You okay. say one thing and then you're saying another. Got thing. you. So you know, and and, and so we, I, you know, I mentioned that to him, and you know, the guy was like, you know, those are really good points. You should definitely bring that up to the NCAA, you know, in terms of next year and the calendar that they're that they're creating. I'm like. Well, the calendar's already out, so I don't know how much exactly they're going to, you know, change it. But you know, point taken. Thank you very much. But going back to going back to my point about you know about the about AAU, they spent the whole year just making AAU out to be the bad guy, and then they turn around and say, "Hey, send your kids to our camp." Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's like me is like the cream of the county. If I spend the whole year. Just like bashing a certain kid, and then I turn around and be like, "Hey, do you want to come to my camp?" It's like, "Hell no, I'm not going to go to your camp, bro." Are you serious? Yeah, there's some the here just talking crap about me. Yeah, there's some arrogance there. Yeah, Aaron, they're they're they got a lot to work on in terms of you know rebuilding those relationships. And the problem is though that you know if you hear what they're saying at, in these parents' meetings. They have essentially decided not to include AAU. Mm-hmm. They've decided that it's going to be the NBA, the NCAA, USA Basketball, and the NBA Players Association. So USA Basketball can identify the very top prospects in the country, but they don't have a great grasp on, you know, who the mid-majors are, you know, are recruiting. College coaches, NCAA coaches can nominate players. But they're hesitant to nominate kids because they don't want to put their kids that they're recruiting out there for the whole world to see. So they, you know, they've kind of pulled their punches a little bit. And then you talk about the NBA Players Association. Then this is the upper tier, upper echelon. So what happens after you get beyond those top 100, 150 kids in the country? It's a crapshoot because you don't have the people that are in there in the trenches every single day to tell you, hey. These are the kids you need to, you know, be talking to, you know, and, and it's crazy because they've got this whole Rolodex of, you know, of scouts. I mean, you know, they, they've got us, we, we all got to apply every year to, you know, get our scouting, um, you know, scouting services uh, recertified. So they know that there are people out there that can help them, but they just got to use them more. Yep. Uh, Aaron, those are some great points there. Now for a minute, take your, the, the full-time dad hat off and put the full-time hoops on who are the f- five or six players, maybe a few players that stood out to you from the evaluator standpoint that you didn't know that much about or you thought really stepped their game up and helped themselves? I would say um, one of my son's teammates, Isaiah Adams from Florida, uh, was a kid who obviously, you know, again, you don't get to see Florida kids too often, but at 6'5", with a 6'9", wingspan, super athletic, slasher, shot it, you know, up and down for the weekend, but gets hot in a hurry, you know, and, and is supremely athletic. I mean, he was, the lefty was probably one of the most physically impressive guys I saw on camp, and he was the, the first one that I said, okay, this guy could be the best player in camp. 
Then I saw Dallin Hall from Utah, from Andrew Malik. He's good. We see a lot, you know, because he plays on, you know, he plays, you know, in, in the Adidas circuit. And he was really good all weekend. I mean, he was carving teams up. Uh, his teammate, the, the big from Wyoming, was also uh, really impressive, too. Um, shoot, I don't have his name in front of me, but I'm pretty sure other people will talk about him as Lawson. well. Lawson Lovering? Lawson Lovering? Lawson Lovering. Lovering was really good. Yeah. Twenty-one. Uh, I would say locally a kid who really boosted their stock a lot was Tyree Campbell from Etiwanda. Okay. I mean, he was he was kind of the talk of a lot of the games that he played in because, you know, he didn't have a great national name. So a lot of coaches were asking me, who is this kid who's just like kicking everyone's ass? I'm like, that's Tyree from Etiwanda. The kid can play. So I think – you know, there was a. I was sitting with a division. Um, I was sitting with a, a division two coach who was watching him, who had been recruiting him. And you know, after about five minutes, he's like, "Well, there goes my time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrap." Like, and, and I think that we're going to see Tyree get some definite residual from his performance here. Aiden Prukop was another one who I felt took advantage of. You know, you know, took advantage of the opportunities presented him. Yeah, modern day win. Yeah, modern-day shooting guard. Didn't didn't miss much all weekend. Uh, did a really good job handling the ball as a combo guard. I, I thought he, he helped himself a lot. Cole Anderson was one of the one of the 2021 kids in the 1980s division who I felt really, you know, was able to stand up to the older kids and, and really asserted himself for long stretches. Uh, so he was one. Uh, the bigs there, there were a couple of bigs. Uh, there was a kid, guys on speaker real quick, because I, I tagged him on Instagram earlier this week. But, sure. Uh, Johnny Broom from Florida was a kid that really impressed me. He was on the 1990, and a 1990s team, 6'10 kid, lefty, long, agile, fluid body, you know, like just looked like the modern prototype NBA 5. Um he was a kid. The only thing I, the only thing I really want him to work on, if he's listening, is just his motor. I mean, he was up and down all weekend, but when he was engaged, it was like this kid's pretty impressive. Carson Basham from Arizona, his one day really made a good impression on a lot of folks. Um, and then if you dig deeper into the camp, uh, there were a couple kids from North Carolina who showed up and showed out. Uh, Another one of AJ's teammates from Florida, Kobe Knox, uh, who is Kevin Knox's younger brother. Mm. Uh, he he was he was a surprise at camp. Super smooth, fluid, streaky jump shooter, but very athletic. Uh, we really got to see it all come together for him that final day. They they were moving players off of teams, you know, to kind of shore up teams due to injury mm-hmm. and early you know departures. So when Isaiah Adams moved off of um, off of his team, Kobe kind of stepped in and filled that void, and you started to see kind of his whole repertoire, and it was it was really impressive. So, I mean, those are some of the guys that I would say kind of, you know, to me really stood out throughout the weekend. There are others, of course. Cameron Pierce from Etiwanda played well. Uh, I'd say Ty Ty Washington in his one day that I saw him was you know did a pretty good job as well. He's another one I think was in the 1990s division. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, like the guy's been offered by like half the country's wife. <laughs> you know, like, like, right. was one of the lower levels, you know. So, 
those are those are kind of the highlights for me. It was a, I mean, like I said, you're not. They didn't get any of the top 100 guys for USA and those guys, and they didn't get the the guys that were at Vegas, you know, in Vegas this weekend. But the group that they did have, I mean, if you were a, if you were meant to high major coach, you weren't going to leave totally disappointed because there were some kids that you're at the very least monitoring throughout their senior year, mm-hmm. or you might offer afterwards. Cool. You know? Aaron Bergen, full-time dad to A.J. Bergen and uh, Samantha Bergen, but uh, yeah. better known as full-time hoops to everyone who's on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, he's always putting out great content about San Diego area players and uh, does a great job of uh, covering guys from high major levels to Division Two, Division Three, NAI. Aaron, we appreciate your time. Much love, guys. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you. So Aaron Bergen, Frank Burleson, two guys who were there, who are knowledgeable, who have seen the interworkings of many camps uh, throughout their careers as media members and scouts and uh, guys who, uh, I mean, Aaron's had a kid play grassroots basketball um, from, you know, as young as it gets, 8U, 7U, whatever they're doing now, first graders playing club basketball. Aaron's been there, uh, and he brings a great perspective on both sides of the of the the. Uh, perspective there yeah and that was very good because again AJ has started like you said from the um, younger youth groups level said 8 and under 11 and under whatnot and he's transformed his body so it's kind of funny you know uh, shouts out to Trent Suzuki and other guys Aaron has really done a good job so if Aaron is pooped out and can't handle that you know (laughs) death walk I can't imagine the other kids must have been just tired yeah and and it showed in the gameplay because there's only he said seven, sometimes eight guys on a team. Okay, and it was just too long. It was too much. Um, a couple college coaches told me, yeah, the the skill and drill work was good, but it was maybe a little too long. Yep. Um, and then my perspective is, if there's 22 teams and there's seven teams, how hard would it have just been to go to about nine players per team? Sure. And make it 18 teams, or right? Whatnot? One less team or two less teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, balance it out. And and Frank hit this point a lot and. And Aaron went into it in, in depth. This this 1980s champions, you know, 90 Louisville, 85 Villanova, the 90s teams, and then the weaker, younger teams are the 2000 teams. Why do that? Just put them in. Just put them in three 20s, three 21s, and if you can, two or three 20s. Mix 22s, it up evenly. Yeah, mix it up evenly. Mix it up evenly so the coaches watch each game evenly. Right. After a while, I didn't take rocket science to realize, okay, I'm going to watch the team with Keith Dinwiddie, with some of the other guys yeah. that are from the 220s that are in the 80s teams. The coaches were all watching those teams. And that kind of brings us back into the point where yeah. the biggest uh, miss, I guess, because from everything I've heard from everybody I've talked to, college coaches, you, yeah. Frank, yeah. Aaron, the teaching and the coaches who were there and the guys they brought in to do it were knowledgeable in basketball and did yeah. a good job of what they were doing. Yes, the issue at hand is the selection process and then creating the teams from that selection process. You've got to bring in guys like Frank. You've got to bring in guys like Van Coleman, Clark Francis, if, if he wants to, yeah. Ronnie Flores. Yeah. Uh, others. Got, others. You know, sc- guys with scouting services, like Aaron mentioned, there's a Rolodex. You know, you have to go into the NCAA portal uh, if, you, if you want to have a scouting service, um, uh, show examples of your scouting service, and then get recertified every single year so they know, who they based play. on region, yeah. who... Uh, is covering these guys, you know, on a year year round basis, um, and 
that also brings into account bringing in the grassroots coaches, travel coaches, AAU coaches, Ronnie, because they're going to put up, if they're able to find some kind of common ground, they're going to put up guys on their team and they can kind of say, oh, he, he's being recruited by blank, blank, blank. He's being recruited by blank, blank, blank. And you can kind of see who are the top level guys and who are the guys who, you know, maybe be like a D2 guy. Then you can formulate the teams in a balanced manner. But the yes. question is, how do you get the club guys involved when, like Aaron mentioned, not only have you vilified you them prior to this, you're publicly them. shitting on them, like yeah. at the event. Yes. From what Aaron said, yeah, and you're and you and you're doing that in in big platforms like the New York Times, yeah, and uh, and, and other avenues, everywhere, every, everywhere, ESPN, whatever you want, anywhere. Yeah, so you're basically telling them not only are we going to publicly hurt you, we you, we want you to silence you about that. And send us your players. Yeah, send, and we yeah. say your players because, again, we've mentioned it a few times on this pod and other times. They're the ones that cultivate the relationships yes. with them from the 11 and under teams, 8 and under teams. Uh, AJ's known his game point coaches for 10 years. Right. So I right. think that's going to. Uh, that uh, uh, Charlie uh, Mercado is going to be like, AJ, don't go. He's going to yeah. listen to Charlie Mercado. Well, not just that, that some guy from the NBA Players Association or the NFHS is going to be able to guide. AJ better or right. more or he's going to listen to more? No, no. AJ's going to listen to Charlie Mercado no. and his father. Yes, so that, <laughs> that's the problem and dilemma they have. So that's kind of the elephant in the room. So as we talk about the, that, how are they going to incorporate the, the the grassroots coaches slash travel ball coaches? What are they going to do to make them feel comfortable in being a part of this? Sure. Uh, sending their kids, wanting to send their kids. They, As this week proved, as you watched, like you guys said, on social media, you watch the Balls Live Twitter and Instagram accounts. There's a platform to, for these coaches to go to. I talked to some college, some some AU coaches. They were saying, "I can be in Vegas right now. Mm-hmm. I can be playing in with Vegas my team. based on social media. Yeah. Like a bunch of people were there. It looks like a fun time. Yeah. Everyone's having a good time. Why don't they want to have fun? Right. They 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 grew up watching OJ Mayo, or maybe that's even a little old, but, you know, that group, you know, Jabari Parker. Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins. Derrick uh, Rose, maybe Derek, a little old, but, but yeah. Yeah, they grew up watching those guys in those events. We're like, wow, I want to do that. Right. Or they keep hearing the stories. So, th- of course, Josh Christopher, Jalen Green, they want to play in, in, in Vegas. Vegas yeah. yeah. Josh's older brother played that's in Vegas. That's where all the camera guys are. Yeah. We, but, had, we, had like, we had like seven balls live camera guys there. And it was, it was, it was messy. It and it was worth it, it. yeah. yeah it, was, it worked out. So, they do have some leverage. They do have a platform. They do have a place to go. If, if an NCAA could say, well, great, there's no coaches. Well, they have the relationships with, with coaches, especially programs that produce players. And to be honest, as I've mentioned on Twitter and I mentioned before, a vast majority of travel coaches are not playing in front of that many coaches anyway. Right. Or any at all. Right. So they want to go play. Yeah. You, what are you telling the rest of the kids that are not at these camps? Mm-hmm. They don't play? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of message you're sending Oh, these guys are, you know, money grabs. These guys don't have your best interest. I, I don't see how that is uh, all the way around. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. And I think kind of I, 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 you've been speaking and, you know, we've been listening to everybody yeah. come on and, and I've seen things on Twitter and whatever. I'm kind of trying to think of a way to um, make that happen and have the two parties coexist and the two sides work together. I mean, so you had two high school viewing periods this year in June, right? Um, why not make one of those the NCAA college basketball academy viewing period one Correct. high school period one in the final period in june being the college basketball academy and give yeah. club basketball back the one end of the of weeks Ju- one of the weeks in july correct i think that's the main uh consensus among people who do this for a living or do this a lot 
You added June, which was good. That Great. all came off. You need Again, to add. You need to add viewing periods yeah. because that'll yeah. that'll help with evaluation. It'll help with the the abundance of transfers and yeah. being able to see guys in various different aspects of the game and, and identifying what level they're actually able to play at. So Pete, you got Peach Jam with Nike. You got the Adidas. You got Under Armour in the first week of July. Yep. It's almost a consensus amongst people who there still needs to be another week. Give one I don't back. Know if it's, I don't know which week it is. Maybe it's the week again. But again, uh, Gavit, as Frank pointed out, said the camps are not going anywhere. And he mentioned in that New York Times article that ship is sailed. Yeah. So there's going to be kind of a, a there's a head on collision. A head on collision. Yeah. So where does it end up? It's a game of chicken. Yeah. It, where does it end up? The um, we're, it's going to be very interesting to see how the grassroots coaches. Do they operate independently? Do they come together a little bit and try to say, hey, we need to do this on a united front across shoe company lines? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, whether I'm a rich, you're a poor guy who's as a small. In July is what yeah. we're talking, right? Yeah, just in general. To compete with, if they have to compete camp, with the camps, right? What are they going to do? Are they going to say, no, we want them to go to the camps. That's fine. They, 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 they you know. But again, if when you're publicly bashing that group and, and painting a big brush... That's where people have problems with it. Sure. Are, because as Frank mentioned and as I, I publicly stated and publicly uh, written, uh, the vast majority of them are not uh, bad apples. They're, they help a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. They pay for a lot of yeah. things. When uh, A lot of people who may not be aware, especially these groups that are helping running these camps, some of them do know, but some of them are not. Who is these kids going to call when they run out of there's not. I don't have gas money to get an event. If their car breaks down, if they have problems with their parents at home, they're not calling the NCAA because the NCAA is not going to give them gas money because yeah. then they'll be ineligible. Yeah, they're not calling <laughs> the NCAA. They're not calling anybody with the NFHS. Right. They're not calling anybody with the NBA Players Association. They're calling their travel coach. Right. You know that's just the bottom line. Whether it's to, hey coach, you know my I need a, somewhere to sleep. My mom, you know, uh, something's I, wrong I, at home. Know, something's yep. wrong at home. Uh, you know, we're a little short this. This month we can't get to that tournament. I can't go. Okay, right. okay we're gonna cover it for you. We're gonna cover right. it for you. A, a, a bunch of things happen. So there's a bunch of positive things that helps these kids get to the where they need to go at the end and help them get a free education and and help their their families tremendously. If you get a free education, that's helping your family tremendously. Right. I think this is a good place to kind of go out on is yeah. everyone should be aligned yeah. and on the same page about what this is all about. It's about getting kids exposure, helping them get to whatever college level, um, you know, their talent allows them to to, to play at, um, whether it's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAI, whatever. Free school is free school, um, and it's about getting them in front of college coaches and yes. it, limiting <laughs> limiting viewing periods for college coaches. I know D twos and D threes, NAIs and JUCOs are allowed to watch more than D ones, but D ones also need more time to evaluate these kids and be able to see, is this kid good enough uh, to play at my school so that we don't have the, the transfer problem. We don't have you know, guys committing to schools that are way above their pay grade. Um, but again, limiting July exposure um, doesn't help that cause. No, it doesn't because right now, and it's going to be a long, that those camps haven't replaced what they lost. Right. Now, yeah. if that was in addition to what, they previously had That'd be great. great. You yeah. could take your all your time in the world. You Which want is to why get June makes right. sense. Yeah, well, you could take all the time in the world to get these camps right, but you don't have that option. The two twenties. I mean, we'll be quite frank, Devin. We've said it before. The two twenties are in a tough position. They got screwed. They got screwed. Let's just say what it is. Maybe two twenties as well. We don't know, but it, it it could be the same boat. So they 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 need to get it right. They need to get it right for two twenty. They need to move swiftly. They need to. Publicly be careful about what they say because, again, the group has 
power and they may exert it. We'll see sure. if they're together. Yep. Um, you know, again, I we Aaron mentioned some good players. I'm with him on Kobe Knox from Tampa Catholic, kind of switching gears a little bit. Isaiah sure, Adams yeah. was good. I thought KJ Simpson, 221 from Chaminade here locally was very good. I heard I got a lot of calls and texts on uh, Jaron Johnson from Linwood, 2020 from Linwood. Yeah, he uh, did a very good job. I think uh uh that that was a he did good um from from both sessions. Uh Couple other again. I went to USA Basketball for a little while, and maybe we'll talk about that on a, at, a, at a different time. You know, I I, I seen a lot a lot of kids who definitely de- deserve some kind of some praise. Again, the bottom of the bottom tier uh, probably you know it didn't help the higher tier player to be playing against those guys. It doesn't give you a great evaluation when you're going against a guy that's not going to play D one. Mm-hmm. It kind of hurts the D one guy because mm-hmm. then college coaches are saying, well, do I you know do I need to see this kid again? Is this the kid I, I uh, you know, I, I really want to mm-hmm. offer a scholarship to? So that that's that's tough, you know. Um, it's been a whirlwind. July, uh, we still got, you know, other events that'll help people in the dead period, and that's another thing that people got to realize: the dead period has had great events, and they can have great events again. Yeah, you know, they definitely needs the the um, the live period needs to be shored up, but the there's nothing. Wrong with having great events in the in the dead period, and I think, Devin, you kind of mentioned it offline. You know, a lot of coaches were kind of pumped and excited to see uh, Vegas having teams, having players, excitement, uh, you know, highlights, that type of thing. You know, what what's your take there in terms of of that? Uh, you know, again, it's a little could be a slightly artificial, but you know, it 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 did happen, and and. There was a lot of good. I'm glad that the, the the camps went on because there was a lot of kids. There was kids from Colorado. I saw Paul Bruns from South Dakota. That was a good player. Uh, Lucas Mormon from Colorado, really good player, shot blocker. Uh, Emmett Neal, the kid from Balboa, yeah, yeah. down in yeah, San Diego. He's did a 220. Did a very good job. Um, Dominique Clifford, another Colorado kid, was good in the first session. But there was a lot of kids in Vegas. So yep. you know. Um, Kind of summarize that, Dan, and, and and we'll close out on that as we prepare for the Balls Live Junior All-American Camp, prepare for the last event in Vegas, and prepare for your camp on the 10th and the Bay versus L.A. Yeah, I mean, Vegas, uh, Gary Charles and, and Grant Rice seemed like they did a really nice job with uh, Las Vegas Big Time Tournament based on the media coverage yeah. and the exposure that, that you know those guys got. Um, but again, we're not going to be able to kind of see the impact of all this for at least another year or a yeah. couple years down the line if if uh, the calendar stays the same and uh, the NCAA camps stay in that, that July yeah. um, if, live period if the, space. If the camps are about the same as they are this year, next year, it's going to be... that's going to abort mission. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Or you need a whole big, big time a, reform. You need a big time reform. It can't stay... It has to get much better every year. Basically, the, the player personnel and the player selection process. Okay. Yeah, it seemed like the player selection process was the biggest uh, miss of the College Basketball Academy, but there were a lot of hits, as you guys heard from Ronnie and Frank and, and Aaron, our guests earlier. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of time to, to get it right. And uh, as we continue to get it right with our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a definitely work in progress. Uh, yeah. We're trying to get this out to more people. Again, we talked about those deadlines we talked about the new calendar as much as we could. We tweeted it. Yep. It still didn't get the message. Just right. Like, that's just the way it works. You know, yep. uh, other people with big social followings, whether it's Evan Daniels, Jerry Meyer, they talked about it. Yep. Some people still didn't get the 
the the boat. So it's a, we continue to fight for the players. We continue to fight for the doing it the right way and getting the kids the the exposure they need and the and the and the um, be in front of college coaches as as they need. So it's it's definitely a, a model that needs some some tweaking. And like we said, that 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 iceberg and the Titanic Titanic are gonna hit. What's gonna happen there? Uh, we don't. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, hopefully no one dies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that'll do it for yeah. um, this. <laughs> People this, have gone to jail, yeah, so sure. we hope nobody dies. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. That's funny. But uh, uh, we appreciate you guys listening into another episode of our In the Paint show. Um, for Devin Newland and Ronnie Flores, uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>